One of the things we have to accept about the unconscious mind is that there are things we can do to try to make it an ally, but we cannot control it. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey, listeners of the podcast, we've put together an exciting community where you can dive deeper into the content of every single episode. And for those of you who join this community from the podcast, we'll give you an access to a course we've just put together worth $500, all yours for free, while we're sending this out to our listeners of the podcast. Simply go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash podcast to be eligible to get this course for free. And we look forward to seeing you in the community. Thanks again for listening. And now, Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. So excited to bring the guest for today, which is often associated with the word dopamine. He's done TEDx talks on the topic, been featured on so many major platforms, speaking about the molecule of more, which is his first book translated into 20 languages, international bestseller, and speaks a lot about the effects of dopamine. Why is it that we're always craving novelty? Why is it that this drug actually motivates a lot of our behavior? And what's so interesting is the man has just released another book called Spellbound, where modern science, ancient magic, and the conscious mind, we get to discover more on how that interacts with our everyday behavior and how we can use it to our advantage in the world of sales, business building, because let's face it, when you're in these realms, anything that can give us the edge can be a huge advantage in a competitive field. And I don't know about you, but I can be superstitious. There's certain things that I will do that will not necessarily come across as rational, but I will believe in this magic. And if this magic can help me, I'm going to use it. Super excited to have Daniel Z. Lieberman joining me today. He's a clinical professor of psychology and behavioral science at George Washington University, has published over 50 peer-reviewed articles and book chapters. I'm so excited to have him here. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here. Daniel, I found it so interesting because, of course, your original work around dopamine, the molecule of more, feels very scientific, and I'm sure it was very much praised, especially on the academic fields. Here we are introducing the next book with Integrates Magic. And I'm just wondering, when you started writing this book and you started you know, introducing the idea to others, was there any eyebrows raised, reluctance about using magic and its role it had in modern psychology? Yes, there was. There was an enormous amount of reluctance, a lot of misunderstanding. But, you know, in this book, I wanted to take a much deeper dive into the psyche, specifically into the unconscious, a part of the mind, a part of the brain that I think people don't fully appreciate the enormous role it plays in their life. Now, it's a lot more complicated than simple neurotransmitter systems, which I explored in my previous book, Molecule of More. So it starts out with a very basic scientific, neuroscientific approach, but we reach the limit of that pretty quickly. And drawing on the work of Carl Jung, it then kind of switches to these ancient traditions of magic and the supernatural that really are roadmaps into the unconscious mind and complement this neuroscientific approach to give us a much deeper, much more effective understanding. You know, I find that's what 
has always been a bit of an unfortunate thing in the space of personal development or just understanding of psychology is it seems like they were in completely different bookshelves. You'd have the subconscious mind power was almost in that section you would label as woo-woo and only a certain type of person would pick up those books. And then you had the real material, the modern psychology, neurotransmitter, everything you were speaking about. And it looks like you're bringing a marriage of both in this book. By the way, for anybody who's interested, I will have a link in the show notes for Spellbound. I'm already getting through it. I picked it up the moment it released and I'm so addicted to the book. It's fascinating. So I'll encourage everybody to do the same, but I wanted to see how was it that you were able to bring those two together and what happens when most people might be completely missing out on this unconscious side. They're probably missing out on a big element of performance, making results happen and ignoring a big part of ourselves. Yeah. Well, you know, we all know that magic is not real. We know that the ancient way of describing our environment nature determined by gods and goddesses and human beings being possessed by spirits, making them act in funny ways. We all know this isn't true, but it's incredibly popular, even after hundreds and hundreds of years of knowing it's not valid. And I think we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And the answer I believe is because it reflects a deep structure of the brain. We have instincts that make us understand the world in magical ways. And if we deny these instincts, we're going to be handicapped. We think, oh, I push away all that irrational stuff, that makes me a logical, reasonable person, and that will make me better able to function in a materialist reality. The opposite is true. If we throw away this very important part of the psyche, we don't function nearly as well. So what I wanted to do was approach it as a psychiatrist and take it out of the realm of woo-woo, this stuff is real, and into the realm of this stuff is real psychologically. And that's critically important. And so everybody who has their skeptical meter up when they look at the woo-woo, I wanna try to bring them in from a scientific perspective so that they can also benefit from these incredibly powerful ways of looking at the world. Yeah, I love the way that you do it because for myself, I'm someone that's always looked at the woo-woo almost like, a oh, that's an interesting crutch to lean on if you couldn't figure it out like the rational way, like the scientific way. And I'd always try to explain anything like intuition, which I know is a big thing you elaborate on. I'd be like, no, it's, you know, our reticular activation system that starts noticing pattern. It's not true, but if you believe it to be true, you know, maybe it's a placebo effect. But what I found fascinating is in complex decision-making, you were able to see the research that was published. You highlighted how even if you had time to rationally calculate different variables, your quote-unquote intuition, your gut feeling was statistically probable to get you to the right answer in more ways that your rational mind could. Could you unpack that and see what benefit that brings us in decision-making in business? Yeah. So... The unconscious mind has a lot more processing power than the conscious mind. Conscious mind can only process about 50 bits per second. And, you know, we often talk about multitasking and doing lots of different things at once. But I think these days, most people know that that's not true. It's actually not possible for the conscious mind to focus on more than one thing at a time. And if you try to do it, it's actually inefficient because there's a switching cost. Every time you go from one to another, it slows you down. Now, the unconscious mind doesn't have that limitation. Conscious mind processes about 50 bytes per second. The unconscious is half a million times more powerful. 
Now, it's got a lot of work to do. You know, it coordinates muscles that give us posture and movement. It secretes hormones. It processes information coming in from the sense organs. So it needs all of this bandwidth, but it's also able to process information in very sophisticated ways. And one of the outcomes of that is, as you point out, intuition. Intuition is capable of giving us answers to questions that are too complex for the conscious mind to handle. And, you know, you described it as a kind of pattern recognition that goes on outside of consciousness. And that's exactly correct. But thinking it more in terms of kind of this magical solution that's presented to us is not correct, but it's more in line with our instinctual way of understanding ourselves. And therefore, it's more efficient. And let me give you an example. I think we both know that things like tables are not solid, right? Tables are made up of more than 99% empty space. We know that, that's a fact. And when you say it's solid, you're wrong. But we don't go through life constantly reminding myself, oh yeah, that's 99% empty space, because that would be exhausting. We evolved to see pieces of wood as solid, and that's the most efficient, effective way for us to understand the world around us. It's the same with magic. Our brains evolved that way. For whatever reason, natural selection gave us a survival advantage by seeing the world in that way. And if we constantly try to go against our intuition, our instincts of how to understand the world, we're just going to be wasting our energy. Yeah, it seems like we're trying to fight a battle that doesn't need to be fought because we're like, oh, well, I can't believe in this stuff because I'll be perceived as crazy. I need to find the real answer. And it's almost like you need to go and find the rational, accurate, full, factual, objective way of doing everything when in a world that's moving so fast as well, at some times, you just need to realize that maybe I can trust my gut. And your research has shown you're going to strike gold more often than not when you do start leaning on these mechanisms. I do find it interesting because in the world of sales, taboo, superstition, all of these types of mechanisms to give us the edge to make sure that everything is always in the same routine and that we're putting luck on our side is a huge element for success, even though there's a part of us that realizes that maybe that's not so true, like having the bunny's foot in the pocket or having a lucky charm. I know I keep a jade stone as a lucky, I don't know, a magical instrument to support me in making sure things go well, but there is merit to it, right? You know, yeah, we tell ourselves stories about how the world works without even realizing it. And there is no reason to be embarrassed about that because it happens at the very, very highest levels. And let me give you an example. One of the things our brains do that we know is wrong is that we treat inanimate objects as if they were alive and sentient. And so chemists describe chemicals as having an affinity for one another. The reason why they interact is because they like one another. Doctors describe tumors as being aggressive. They describe infections as being stubborn. Now, we know that they're not stubborn. Uh, this has to do with molecular interactions, but we allow ourselves to think that way because that's going to make our brain function most effectively. Doctors know that, chemists know that, physicists call particles shy that are hard to find. They know that telling themselves that story will make them more effective in their field 
And so I think that we need to learn from these brilliant, highly educated people and allow ourselves to do the same thing. You know, if wearing a lucky tie increases the odds that you're going to make a sale, wear that lucky tie and go ahead and attribute to the tie that sale because that's how your brain wants to work and that's what's going to get you the most out of your brain. Dr. Daniel, would this be the same as a placebo effect or are we talking about something that's even more than that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that the placebo effect is a subset of this. And that is the ability of the unconscious mind to do far more than we expect. You know, when I first started studying the placebo effect as a medical student, I really thought of it strictly as something that would block pain. And to be honest, that wasn't terribly interesting. Later, I realized it's far more powerful than that. You can give somebody with Parkinson's disease, a very serious neurological illness, a placebo, and they'll secrete more dopamine and they'll move more smoothly. You can give somebody with gastrointestinal problems a placebo and they will secrete chemicals that will allow their intestines to function more smoothly. And so we underestimate the unconscious mind at our peril. It does more than even doctors realize. Yeah. And I find that anything that's kind of objectively verified with placebo is about like physical ailments or like diseases. But when we're talking about a field that's so subjective, like sales and like showing up with enthusiasm, and you're talking about these micro little things that can really affect the rapport you build with someone, anything that you can stack in your favor seems like it's going to give you a big advantage here. But on the flip side of spellbound, I have to look at the negative side. And I want to bring this up because so many people, especially at the early stages of business, it's almost like the odds are against you. You feel like you keep getting kicked down and it's almost like a downward spiral where now we're not getting any kind of superpower. It feels like we're cursed, right? And I'm wondering, is there a process to overcoming this? Do we need to deny it? What is the thing that we can do whenever you hear these terms like I'm in a slump? Is this even real? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a little bit of background first. Maybe it'd be helpful to talk about exactly what is the role of the unconscious in sales. You know, we've all had interactions with people that just went unbelievably well. You know, we just clicked and there was that sense of connection and it was effortless. We didn't have to work for it. It just felt so easy. We've all given presentations in which the words just flow incredibly well. And again, it's effortless and it's easy. We've had the flip side when we're interacting with someone and we're just not on the same level. Everything we say is misunderstood. We want to explain something and we just can't come up with the words to say it. When we're giving a presentation, we just can't get in that flow, in that rhythm. And this is the unconscious mind cooperating with us in the first examples and not cooperating in the other examples. And you can't fake it. You can't go in to a sales presentation and fake being warm and authentic and making that connection. You've got no control over it. One of the things we have to accept about the unconscious mind is that there are things we can do to try to make it an ally, but we cannot control it. It's kind of like a dog, you know? We can make friends with a dog, but we never know if it's gonna be in a good mood and obey our commands one day, or if it's gonna be contrary and not do anything we want. 
So we do have to accept a little bit of letting go. And that's not easy for modern people to do. You know, the modern age is all about taking control. We've got cell phones, we've got computers, we've got cars, we've got algorithms, everything to nail down control. And it's a little bit scary to give up that control. So you're in a slump. What do you do? The first thing you do is accept it. You say that there is a reason for this. And I'm not going to fight fate, really. I'm not going to fight the circuits in my brain that for some reason are causing problems. But our brains are going to function better if we take the magical perspective and say, I'm not going to fight fate. I'm going to ride it. I'm going to see where it leads me. And I think that we know good and well that these slumps usually do lead to a good place. Maybe they will lead to abandoning the project. But in Silicon Valley, there's a saying, fail fast. If something is not going well, get out. And maybe that's what the slump is trying to tell you. Maybe the slump is trying to tell you to pivot. Maybe the slump is just trying to toughen you up because something really good is around the corner and you need the toughness to approach it. Now, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I've had similar experiences where I've been writing something, I've worked for 45 minutes an hour, and then boom, I press the wrong button and it's erased. I curse myself, I say, you idiot, you loser. And of course, I'm not cursing me, I'm cursing my unconscious mind that pushed that button, all right? Then I buckle down and rewrite it, and it's much better. So my unconscious mind deleted it for a reason, and I just need to have a little respect. I need to say, look, this happened for a reason. I need to work with this partner of mine, and good things will eventually happen. I hope I'm quoting the right person. I think it was Einstein, and I feel like he gets misappropriated so many quotes, so we're just going to roll with this one, is that he asked one of the questions, which was one of the most important questions you should ask yourself is, is the universe friendly? I don't know if that was Einstein, but as a question like that, it almost ties into talking about the subconscious mind thinking and assuming that it always has your back or always has your best interest at heart. Is that a belief that you would agree with and that you align with? No, absolutely not. The unconscious mind has both light and darkness. And, you know, going back to these ancient tales of magic and the supernatural, you know, you look at the myths of the Greek gods, they drip in blood. You know, the Greek gods are powerful, they're unimaginably beautiful, they can give mortals the power to do things that carry them way beyond what they're capable of on their own, but they also curse, and they murder, and they engage in cannibalism, and all kinds of horrible, horrible things, and these are reflections of the unconscious. And so we need to be careful. We can't just say, oh, let's tap into this source of power and good things. No, no. And some examples. We see people who are at the top of their field and they engage in unimaginably bad judgment and they fall. You know, maybe it's an impulse that they really should have under control, but they don't. Maybe they become dishonest. Incredibly wealthy people who don't need more money through inexplicable reasons will do something dishonest and their entire career will come crashing down. That's the unconscious mind destroying us. And just as the ancient gods and goddesses could both bless and curse, 
The same is true with the unconscious mind, and so we do need to proceed with caution. And I think that's a great cautionary tale. And it makes us realize that this is not an unlimited source of power that will always be in your favor, but there must be some ways that we can be conscious of if we're stepping over the boundary, things that we can work on to minimize the downside. I feel like this whole movement around personal growth has a lot to do with acknowledging the subconscious, integrating it, listening to it. But I'm sure that a lot of other practices, as Elvis has been telling you, ignore that. It's just noise. Focus on success. Keep moving forward. If you have any doubts, just move forward and ignore it. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Seems like there's a bit of friction there, but you united in your material. And I think you have a more approach towards integration here. Yeah. You know, there's a saying, God helps those who help themselves. And so there's nothing wrong with hustle, hustle, hustle. But I think that you have to acknowledge that your efforts on their own are not going to take you to the finish line. You really need the things that you don't have control over. You need charisma. You need the ability to connect with other people. And you need what we call luck. But sometimes luck is just pure random chance, but usually it's not. Fortune favors the bold, as it said. And that's not always true. Sometimes fortune favors the cautious. But the bottom line is that it's not random chance, that there are things going on. And so I think the first step in making the unconscious an ally is to put aside the arrogance that many of us have, that we are in complete control in our brain, that we're the only ones up there. And we have to start acknowledging that there are forces we don't control, forces that affect our emotions, our intuitions, our inspirations, forces that affect our desires. You know, we hustle, hustle, hustle to get the things we want, but we don't choose those things that we want. And a lot of times the things that we want are bad for us. They're self-destructive. And we go, oh my God, I wish I didn't want this person. I wish I didn't want this thing because it's so horrible for me, but we have no control. So the first step is to get better at separating those two things, the things we do have control over and the things in which we are just a passive rider. To pay attention to it, in psychology, the technical term for it is the observing ego. We take a step back and we look at what's happening. Yeah, I was going to ask you to elaborate on that because if we understand that we are not fully in control, but there's certain things we do want to keep the reins on. And what I love in the opening chapters in your book, you talk a lot about how we need to actually use our conscious mind. It's very useful to filter some of the noise that'll come from the unconscious because it's not all good advice. Some of it isn't that great. So we need to be able to discern what's in our best favor, such as, well, I'd love to hit that snooze button, but I want to get up and I know this is good for me. And these are habits I want to build. I would think this is an example of control, but I'd love to ask from you, what are some of the things you are practices of control that are the most useful for someone who wants to operate at a high performance, have more success and build a company without necessarily crash and burning in the process? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've referred to the unconscious a couple of times as instinct. Human beings are this weird combination of the rational and the irrational, the spiritual and the animal. We've got both of these things, and they don't always work in harmony, but we need to try to do that. And the unconscious is the animal side of the human being. It's the instinct. And so 
I think one way to help us understand it is to think of a real animal. Think of the relationship between a person and a wild horse. That wild horse is going to be very, very dangerous and not particularly useful. But if the human being takes the time and the trouble to tame that wild horse, it will be an incredibly powerful ally. You know, in the days before automobiles, you could travel. In wartime, a war horse was a very powerful weapon and a huge advantage. And so if you can tame this wild animal, make it a partner, it becomes a very, very powerful tool. It's not an easy thing to do. And so what we want to do is use our conscious mind to try to tame this wild, instinctual unconscious within us. And we do that by making the unconscious conscious. We pay attention to what's going on and we try to open up the channels of communication. We pay attention to our emotions. We allow ourselves to fully feel the emotions, even the bad ones like anger and hatred and envy and jealousy, but we don't allow them to take over our behavior. We feel 100%, but we don't allow it to act. In order to do that, you need a strong conscious mind. You need a strong ego, as we say it. And so the best thing you can do is do things that strengthen your ego. Have some discipline. Try to think about your values and stick to them. So the alarm goes off, you hit the snooze button, you're giving in to the horse's instinct. No, you need to train the horse. Don't hit the snooze button, get out of bed, strengthen your discipline, strengthen your conscious mind. That will enable you to develop this productive relationship with your unconscious. I love that. And it also brings me to a way that you're trying to apply this, but I feel if you're dipping too much into the magic side, it's actually getting in the way of the results you want. Let me explain. There's the typical story you'll hear of a salesperson, right? And you want to be in the zone. You want to be in flow and you want to make sure that what you need to do is pick up the phone. Say you have a list of leads and you need to dial numbers and you need to make contacts and you need to have conversations. So you come into the office at 9 a.m. and you're like, well, my routine to be in the zone, I need to have my coffee. So then you stop, you go make a cup of coffee and then you're like, oh, but right now, you know, I need to make sure I'm well set up. So I'm going to just place my desk and take them. For example, I have a lucky rock and we start creating a bunch of habits, routines, and things that actually prevent us from doing the actual thing that brings in the results. And I wanted to know if there was any limit ways of testing when maybe we're trying too hard to bring the magic on our side without doing the actual thing, or is there still a lot of merit to continuously beat on the magic so that the small moments you will make those calls are going to be more worth it? Right, right. You know, the thing about the brain is it is the most unique part of the human body, and it is what makes us an individual. And so that makes it very difficult to come up with general rules that apply to everyone. What I would say it is that, that making the unconscious conscious, creating this relationship of allyship with your hidden partner is one of the most important things you will do in your lifetime. And it is ridiculous to think that there are easy rules that will allow you to do it. The number one most important thing, and maybe this is true of business as well, is you need to give yourself permission to make mistakes. You need to try and fail and fail and fail and fail. 
Thomas Edison, trying to find a filament for the light bulb, couldn't do it. He said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 things that won't work. And so maybe that rock and cup of coffee is getting in your way. I don't know. Try without it. See how you do. Bring it back. Fail. Don't be afraid to fail because that's what life is. Mm, amen. I think also when you get into business, it's like assuming everything's going to be a home run from the start, I think is a bit of a false expectations, maybe portrayed for how we're trained with Disney movies or how we see a movie on a successful entrepreneur. They'll show a short struggle period. It's usually a very short one. And then they go instantly into success when the path to success is so much longer. There's so much of these little mundane, the boring, right? Like if it's an intense crash and burn, then we're like, okay, I can come back on top. Maybe this is the lesson. But when it's getting into to the routines, the boring, the discipline, the things that we speak about, the conscious mind, training the unconscious mind through repetition, not hitting the snooze button, getting into the right habit seems to be what really allows you to start tapping into that unconscious mind and being so magical in the way that you operate. Yeah. You know, there's this wonderful author named Seth Godin. I don't know if you know of him. He wrote a little tiny book called The Dip. And he said, when you do a new endeavor, you start out, you're full of excitement and energy and everything goes great, and then boom, you hit the dip. And that's true of anything that's hard, anything that's worthwhile, and that's when 90% of people give up because it wasn't glamorous and fun and exciting and, and remunerative as they hoped. But Seth Godin says, here's another way of thinking about it. If there wasn't the dip, there would be too many people in the space and there'd be no opportunity. The dip is your friend because it filters out 90% of your competition. Embrace it, appreciate it, and plow through it. Amen. I think one of the most hidden secrets to success is longevity. Is just keep doing it for long enough and you'll outpace most of the people who are going to give up in the process, which I want to tie into a bit from your previous work around the molecule of more, the whole neurochemicals and the dopamine and how it plays together in your high performance. You talked about enthusiasm earlier about that being a necessary quality, and I totally agree. In my case, I actually encourage people to fall in love with sales, which I won't unpack here, but in essence, I want people to show up with a loving attitude when you come to sales, because that will bring that natural enthusiasm. Yet you can probably decode love or any emotions of enthusiasm to show up as simply neurochemicals plugging together. And I'm just wondering, is that something we should look into hacking to be more productive? Or is this something that we just need to face the reality of where their levels are and then how to work with the current levels we have? Yeah. You know, I started Spellbound with a quotation that's printed on the gateway to the Oracle of Delphi, the ancient oracle. And it's the most famous aphorism in all of philosophy and it is know thyself. So, you know, hacking the brain, understanding the brain, understanding the mind, knowing yourself is the single most important thing. And in The Molecule of More, I tried to help people understand the role of dopamine and what it was doing, what it was good for, and what it was not good for. And so dopamine helps us process thoughts about the future. It helps us process thoughts about what we don't have, but we want. And that's why it creates these feelings of excitement. It also gives us energy and motivation to help us get those things. And it feels so good and it's such a great feeling. But what's important to understand is that eventually the future becomes the present. 
And dopamine does not process anything that happens in the present. So as soon as you shift from thinking about what could be to what is, dopamine shuts down. And that is uncomfortable for many people. They go, whoa, you know, where's my enthusiasm? Where's my motivation? Where's my energy? I'm going to come out of the present moment and think about what's next. And that's why we called it the molecule of more, because it's not enough. It's not what you have. It's always something more. So when you're going to give a sales presentation, the excitement, motivation, and anticipation is great. But once you get there, you need to turn that off and you need to shift down into the present moment, the here and now, and make a human connection to the other person. And that uses a whole nother group of brain chemicals. Yeah, I was going to assume that to get dopamine flowing more, would I be accurate to state doing things like having a clear vision of the future or goals that you want to hit would be the things that trigger the dopamine? But for the rest of the molecules, are we talking more about things such as like mindfulness or being present? Are those the type of strategies that you encourage people to be able to modulate the presence? Yeah, you know, I think that both of these things are part of the unconscious mind. Having goals is a good thing. But I think we all know having goals doesn't always lead to excitement. And it can be very, very frustrating. And we see that in our loved ones, too. We see our loved ones who are stuck. And we may sit down with them and try to help them clarify what they want, where they want to go. And it does not help at all. And so this is another area where we have to admit that we do not have the control that we want. But that doesn't mean that we have no control. A lot of times working with the unconscious is a long-term process. And let me give you an example, and that is playing a musical instrument. If you buy a book on playing the keyboard, you can look at it and press the notes, and that's not music. It's not music until you've practiced for hundreds, maybe even thousands of hours, and now it's in what we call muscle memory. Muscle memory is another word for the unconscious. You play it without thinking about it. So, you know, you mentioned mindfulness, and that's a form of practicing to be in the here and now. But what you need to realize is you can't say, oh, I need to be in the here and now. I'm going to practice mindfulness. That's like saying, I need to play the piano for a concert. I'm going to let my muscle memory. No, no, it requires practice. So if you want to use mindfulness to be in the here and now, meditate for 100 hours first. Dr. Daniel Z. Lieberman, it's a fantastic conversation to have with you. Before I close it, though, I got to ask a couple of the more personal questions, right? Which is, what are some of the magics that you love to nurture into your own life to support your own conscious, rational behaviors? Do you have any good luck rituals that you do yourself that you get excited about? I love taking walks in nature. We have a park with nature trails five minutes from us. And since I've been starting working from home, I've been walking for half an hour every morning through those trails. And, you know, a lot of times when we're in nature, we get what I call in the book a numinous feeling. It's called a magical moment. It's when all of a sudden the world feels very, very different. Some people may get it on the beach at dawn or on the beach at night. It's this feeling that you're in contact with something much more powerful. It's so uplifting. It gives us a different perspective on life. And so I always try to pay attention for those moments and really try to enjoy them. And they just make my life so much more meaningful 
and fill me with energy and motivation. Absolutely love it. There's one final thing I always loved asking every one of my guests, which by the way, the whole walking thing, 100% agree, getting yourself disconnected, doing something like this. I think if we're in the cities, we often miss out on that. And I love what you talked about in the book as well, how you get to live longer when you're amongst trees. Interesting study. But the question I wanted to close with is you're on a Selling with Love podcast. If I would have asked you the question, what does selling with love mean to you? What would you say? Yes. Yeah, so in my experience as a customer, there are two kinds of salespeople. There are salespeople who follow a script and they try to present a facade and I hate it. I just want to run away from them. I feel like I'm being manipulated and I feel offended because I feel like they're treating me not as a human being. There are others who will talk to me as an authentic human being and they're not trying to manipulate me. They're trying to say, hey, this might be something you'd be interested in. You know, I'm so grateful for your time. Let me present it to you. Let's see what you think. And by treating me as a human being, they treat me with respect. And even if I don't want to buy what they're selling, I will enjoy it. I'll just enjoy interacting with another person. So to me, it means authenticity. I love it. Dr. Daniel Z. Lieberman, thank you so much for coming on the show. For everybody tuning in, for me, this is so fantastic. I'm in the middle of the book, and I'm going to encourage once again everybody, grab a copy of Spellbound, Modern Science, Ancient Magic, and the Unconscious Mind. Just got released August 2022. Always amazing when you show support to the authors that come and share here. Grab a copy, and of course, when you read a book, go and leave that review. It means so much gets us to see what people are getting out of the value from the book. As for me, I find it absolutely amazing what we've talked about even today, knowing that, you know, magic, although we can debunk it and we don't need to necessarily agree to it from a scientific perspective, there is validity knowing that it can help us subconsciously. The subconscious mind is so powerful, but our conscious mind can only process a little bit of data. But don't put blind faith into it because it can actually bite you as well. When you're on a good streak, keep going on doing the things that support this good streak. When you're on a negative streak, it's not about ignoring it, it's listening to it. And what I love the most about what Dr. Daniel said is if you need to listen to things that are coming from your subconscious, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to act on everything, but it's also don't ignore it and suppress it because I'm just currently on the chapter around shadow and that's usually things that will come to bite you in the long term. I also like how we touched a little bit on the neurochemistry, the dopamine being when you set bold goals and you get excited about achieving it, that is great, but it's not what you need at all times, particularly in the example where we talked about the sales presentation. Know that the presence that you have in that presentation is what's going to serve you the most. There's so much more you can unpack from his work, so be sure to go follow him on YouTube as well, and you're going to see some show notes to more references for his work. Dr. Daniel Z. Lieberman, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's been a pleasure. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done.